0: Chapter 16, Part 1 of Kangaroo by D. H. Lawrence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lisa Murphy, Richmond, Virginia. Chapter 16, A Row in Town. Part 1 The thing that Kangaroo had to reckon with and would not reckon with was the mass spirit. A collection of men does not necessarily mean a mob. A collection of men, an accidental gathering, may be just a gathering, drawn by a moment's curiosity, or it may be an audience drawn to hear something. Or it may be a congregation, gathered together in some spirit of earnest desire. Or it may be just a crowd, inspired by no one motive. The mass spirit is complex. At its lowest is a mob. And what is a mob? to put it as briefly as possible it's a collection of all the weak souls sickeningly conscious of their weakness into a heavy mob that lusts to glut itself with blind destructive power not even vengeance the spirit of vengeance belongs to a mass which is higher than a mob the study of collective psychology today is absurd in its inadequacy man is supposed to be an automaton working in certain automatic ways when you touch certain springs These springs are all labeled, they form a keyboard to the human psyche, according to modern psychology, and the chief labels are herd instinct, collective interest, hunger, fear, collective prestige, and so on. But the only way to make any study of collective psychology is to study the isolated individual. Upon your conception of the single individual, all your descriptions will be based, all your science established. For this reason, the human sciences, philosophy, ethics, psychology, politics, economics can never be sciences at all. There can never be an exact science dealing with individual life. L'anatomia presuppone il cadavere. Anatomy presupposes a corpse, says Denunzio. You can establish an exact science on a corpse, supposing you start with the corpse, and don't try to derive it from a living creature. But upon life itself, or any instance of life, you cannot establish a science. Because even science must start from definition, or from precise description, and you can never define or precisely describe any living creature. Iron must remain iron, or cease to exist. But a rabbit might evolve into something which is still rabbit, and yet different from that which a rabbit now is. So. How can you define or precisely describe a rabbit? There is always the unstable creative element present in life, and this science can never tackle. Science is cause and effect. Before we can begin any of the so-called humane sciences, we must take on trust purely unscientific fact, namely, that every living creature has an individual soul, however trivial or rudimentary which connects it individually with the source of all life, as man, in the religious terminology, is connected with God, and inseparable from God. So is every creature, even an ant or a louse, individually in contact with the great life urge which we call God. To call this connection the will to live is not quite sufficient. It is more than a will to persist. It is a will to live in the further sense, a will to change, a will to evolve, A will towards further creation of the self, the urge toward evolution, if you like. But it is more than evolution. There is no simple cause and effect sequence. The change from caterpillar to butterfly is not cause and effect, it is a new gesture in creation. Science can wriggle as hard as it likes, but the change from caterpillar to butterfly is utterly unscientific, illogical, and unnatural if we take science's definition of nature. It is an answer to the strange creative urge, the God-whisper, which is the one and only everlasting motive for everything. So, then, man. He is said to be a creature of cause and effect, or a creature of free will. The two are the same. Free will means acting according to reason, choice, which is the purest instance of cause and effect. Logic is the quintessence of cause and effect. An idealism, the ruling of life, by the instrumentality of the idea, is precisely the mechanical, even automatic, cause-and-effect process. The idea, or ideal, becomes a fixed principle, and life, like any other force, is driven into mechanical repetition of given motions, millions of times over and over again, according to the fixed ideal so the christian democratic world prescribes certain motions and men proceed to repeat these motions till they conceive that there are no other motions but these and that is pure automatism when scientists describe savages or ancient egyptians or aztecs they assume that these far-off peoples acted but in a crude clumsy way from the same motives which move us too much ego in his cosmos men have had strange inconceivable motives and impulses which were just as right as ours are and our right motives will cease to activate even as the lost motives of the assyrians have ceased our right and our righteousness will go pop, and there will be another sort of right and righteousness the mob then now the vast bulk of mankind has always been and always will be helpless by which we mean helpless to interpret the new prompting of the god urge the highest function of mind is its function of messenger the curious throbs and pulses of the god urge in man would go on forever ignored if it were not for some few exquisitely sensitive and fearless souls who struggle with all their might to make that strange translation of the low dark throbbing into open act or speech like a wireless message the new suggestion enters the soul throb 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 and it beats and beats for years before the mind frightened of this new knocking in the dark can be brought to listen and attend for the mind is busy in a house of its own which house it calls the universe and how can there be anything outside the universe there is though there is always something outside our universe and it is always at the doors of the innermost sentient soul and there throb 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 it's like the almost inaudible beating of a wireless machine nine hundred and ninety-nine men out of a thousand hear nothing at all absolutely nothing they racket away in their nice complete homely universe running their trains and making their wars and saving the world for democracy they hear not a thing a tiny minority of sensitive souls feels the throb and are frightened and cry for more virtue more goodness more righteousness a la mode but all the righteousness and goodness in all the world won't answer the throb or interpret the faint but painful thresh of the message there is no morse code there never will be every new code supersedes the current code. Nowadays, when we feel the throb, vaguely, we cry, more love, more peace, more charity, more freedom, more self-sacrifice. Which makes matters all the worse, because the new throb, interpreted mechanically, according to the old code, breeds madness and insanity. It may be that there is an insufficient activity of the thyroid glands, or the adrenaline cortex isn't making its secretions, or the pituitary or the pineal body is not working adequately. But this is result, not cause, of our neurasthenia and complexes. The neurasthenia comes from the inattention to the suggestion, or from a false interpretation. The best souls in the world make some of the worst interpretations, like President Wilson, and this is the bitterest tragedy of righteousness. The heroic effort to carry out the old righteousness becomes at last sheer wrongness. Men in the past have chosen to be martyred for an unborn truth but life itself inflicts something worse than martyrdom on them if they persist too long in the old truth alas there is no morse code for interpreting the new life prompting the new god urge and there never will be it needs a new term of speech invented each time a whole new concept of the universe gradually born shedding the old concept well now there is the dark god knocking afresh at the door The vast mass hear nothing but say we know all about the universe our job is to make a real smart place of it so they make more aeroplanes and old-age pensions and are furious when kaiser william interrupts them the more sensitive hear something feel a new urge and are uneasy they cry we are not pure in heart we are too selfish let us educate the poor let us remove the slums let us save the children let us spend all we have on the noble work of education so they spend a bit more than before but by no means all they have with the result that now everybody reads the newspapers and discusses world politics and feels himself most one-sidedly a bit of the great godhead of the sacred people and still the knocking goes on 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 till some soul that dares as well as can listens and struggles to interpret Every new word is anathema, bound to be, jargon, rant, mystical tosh, and so on, evil, and anti-civilization. Naturally, for the machine of the human psyche, once wound up to a certain ideal, doesn't want to stop. And still, all the time, even in the vulgar uneducated, perhaps more in them than in the hardy money-makers of the lower middle classes. Throb, throb, throb goes the God urge deep in their souls, driving them almost mad. They are quite stone deaf to any new meaning. They would jeer an attempt at a new interpretation, jeer it to death. So, there they are, between the rocky scylla of the fixed established ideal and the whirling charybdis of the conservative opposition to this ideal. Between these two perils they must pass, for behind them drives the unknown current of the God urge on on through the straits they will never get through the straits they do not know that there is any getting through scylla must beat charybdis and charybdis must beat scylla so the monster of humanity with a scylla of an ideal of equality for the head and a charybdis of industrialism and possessive conservatism for the tale howls with frenzy and lashes the straits till every boat goes down that tries to make a passage well scylla must have it out with charybdis that's all and we must wait outside the straits till the storm is over it won't be over yet though now this is the state of the mass it is driven goaded mad at length by the pricking of the god urge which it will not cannot attend to or interpret it is so goaded that it is mad with its own wrongs it is wronged so wronged that it is mad and what is the wrong prey the mass doesn't know there is no connection at all between the burning throbbing unconscious soul and the clearest daylight conscious mind the whole of labor today sees the situation clear as daylight so does the whole of capital and yet the whole of the daylight situation has really nothing to do with it it is the god-urge which drives them mad the unacknowledged unadmitted non-existent god-urge they may become a mob a mob is like a mass of bullocks driven to frenzy by some bot-fly and charging frantically against the tents of some herdsman imagining that all the evil comes out of these tents there is a gulf between the quivering hurt in the unconscious soul and the round flat world of the visible existence a sense of weakness and injury at last an intolerable sense of wrong turning to a fiendish madness a mad necessity to wreck something cost what it may for only the flat, round, visible world exists. And yet, it is the botfly of the Holy Ghost, unlistened to, that is the real cause of everything. But the mob has no direction, even in its destructive lust. The vengeful masses have direction, and it is no good trying to reason with them. The mass does not act by reason. A mass is not even formed by reason. The more intense or extended the collective consciousness, the more does the truly reasonable individual consciousness sink into abeyance the herd instinct for example is of many sorts it has two main divisions the fear instinct and the aggressive instinct but the vengeance instinct is not part of the herd instinct but consider the mode of communication of herd instinct the communication between the individuals in a herd is not through the mind it is not through anything said or known it is submental it is telepathic why does a flock of birds rise suddenly from the tree tops all at once in one spring and swirl round in one cloud towards the water there was no visible sign of communication given it was a telepathic communication they sat and waited and waited and let the individual mind merge into a kind of collective trance then click the unison was complete, the knowledge or suggestion was one suggestion all through, the action was one action. This so called telepathy is the clue to all heard instinct. It is not instinct, it is a vertebral telegraphy, like telegraphy It is a complex interplay of vibrations from the big nerve centers of the vertebral system in all the individuals of the flock, till click, there is unanimity. They have one mind. And this one-mindedness of the many-in-one will last, while ever the peculiar pitch of vertebral nerve vibration continues unbroken through them all. As the vibration slacks off, the flock falls apart. This vertebral telepathy is the true means of communication between animals. It is perhaps most highly developed where the brain, the mental consciousness, is smallest. Indeed, the two forms of consciousness mental and vertebral are mutually exclusive the highest form of vertebral telepathy seems to exist in the great sperm whales communication between these herds of roving monsters is marvellous rapidity and perfection they are lounging feeding lazily individually in mid-ocean with no cohesion suddenly A quick thought-wave from the leader bull and as quick as answering thoughts the cows and young bulls are ranged the herd is taking its direction with a precision little short of miraculous perhaps water acts as a most perfect transmitter of vertebral telepathy this is the famous wisdom of the serpent this vertebral consciousness and telepathy this is what makes the magic of a leader like napoleon his powers of sending out intense vibration messages to his men without the exact intermediation of mental correspondence. It is not brain power. In fact, it is, in some ways, the very reverse of brain power. It might be called the acme of stupidity. It is the stupendous wits of brainless intelligence, a marvelous reversion to the premental form of consciousness. This premental form of consciousness seems most perfect in the Great whales more even in them than in the flocks of migrating birds after the whales the herds of wolves and deer and buffaloes but it is most absolute in the cold fishes and serpents reptiles the fishes have no other correspondence save this cold vertebral vibration and this is as it were blind the fish is absolutely stonewall limited in its consciousness to itself it knows none other stony abstract cold alone the fish still has the power of radio communication it is a form of telepathy like a radium effluence, vibrating fear principally fear is the first of the actuating gods then come the reptiles they have sex and dimly darkly discern the bulk of the answerer they are drawn to contact it is the new motive the fishes are never drawn to contact only food and fear so in the reptiles the second telepathic vibration the sympathetic is set up the primary consciousness is cold the wisdom is isolated cold moonlike, knowing none other the self alone in knowledge utterly subtle but then sex comes upon them and the isolation is broken another flow sets up they must seek the answerer it is love so telepathy communication in the vertebrates ants and bees too have a one conscious vibration even they have perfect ganglia communication but it is enough to consider the vertebrates in the sperm whale intense is the passion of amorous love intense is the cold exultance and power isolate kingship with the most intense enveloping vibration of possessive and protective love, the great bull encloses his herd into a oneness. And, with the intensest vibration of power, he keeps it subdued in awe, in fear. These are the two great telepathic vibrations which rule all the vertebrates, men as well as beasts. Man, whether in a savage tribe or in a complex modern society, is held in unison by these two great vibrations emitted unconsciously from the leader the leaders the governing classes the authorities first the great influence of shadow of power causing trust fear and obedience second the great influence of protective love causing productivity and the sense of safety those two powerful influences are emitted by men like gladstone or abraham lincoln against their knowledge but nonetheless emitted only gladstone and lincoln justify themselves in speech and both insist on the single influence of love and denounce the influence of fear a mob occurs when men turn upon all leadership for true living activity the mental and the vertebral consciousness should be in harmony in caesar and napoleon the vertebral influence of power prevailed and there was a break of balance and a fall in lincoln and president wilson the veritable influence of love got out of balance and there was a fall there was no balance between the two modes of influence the mind ran on as it were without a break towards absurdity so it ran to absurdity in napoleon break the balance of the two great controlling influences and you get not a simple preponderance of the one influence but a third state the mob state this is the state when the society tribe or herd degenerates into a mob in man the mind runs on with a sort of terrible automatism which has no true connection with the vertebral consciousness the vertebral intercommunication gradually gathers force apart from all mental expression its vibration steadily increases till there comes a sudden click And then you have the strange phenomenon of revolution, like the Russian and the French revolutions. It is a great disruptive outburst. It is a great eruption against the classes in authority. And it is, finally, a passionate, mindless vengeance taken by the collective vertebral psyche upon the authority of orthodox mind. In the Russian revolution, it was the educated classes that were the enemy, really, the deepest inspiration, the hatred of the conscious classes. But revolution is not a mob movement. Revolution has direction, and leadership, however temporary. There is point to its destructive frenzy. In the end, it is a question with us today whether the masses will degenerate into mobs, or whether they will still keep a spark of direction. All great mass uprisings are really acts of vengeance against the dominant consciousness of the day. It is the dynamic vertebral consciousness in man bursting up and smashing through the fixed, superimposed mental consciousness of mankind, which mental consciousness has degenerated and become automatic. End of chapter sixteen part one